Well, hey, it's Jason here, and I'm one of the pastors from The Way Church. We are a new church with a home in the city of Vancouver. And our prayer is that God would use these sermons from our teaching team to help you see Jesus more clearly. And if you're not part of a church, we'd love to connect with you. The easiest way to do it is to visit our website and fill out our connect form at thewaychurch.ca. Let's jump in. I don't know if you saw this last weekend, but as I was scrolling through my Instagram feed, I saw a campaign video from one of the US presidential hopefuls, Kanye West. And while lots might be said about all of that, there was something in this campaign video that stuck out to me because I feel like he raised a question that so many people, not just Americans, but so many of us as Canadians and the whole world are asking. And this is the question he asked. He said, what is just and what is true justice? We live in a profound time in history, wrestling with questions of justice. And I remember last September, so just over a year ago, I was invited to a party in East Vancouver. And it was a new friend of mine that invited me to this party. And the context for this party is really significant. Because about four years earlier, she found the courage to report a man in her life that had abused her. And the police took it very seriously. More young women came forward. And then it began a very painful, long journey of the court case, my friend having to testify in front of her abuser in in court. And eventually he was was, uh, found guilty and sent to prison. And so she threw this party to celebrate justice and to celebrate the end of this painful season of her life. Not that all of it was going away, but to to mark it, but then also to honor all of her friends that had carried her through that time. And I remember I pulled up, it was September, so it was still warm at night and it was dark out. And I pulled up a few blocks away and I walked around the corner into this back alley in East Vancouver. I could see string lights hung from the balcony and I heard the sound of the crowd. I turned the corner and I saw friends talking and spending time together and laughing and eating good food and good drinks. And then she stood up and she spoke to all of her friends. And then somebody else came and grabbed a guitar and they sang songs of worship. I'm standing in this back alley in East Vancouver, songs of worshiping going out up, celebrating justice. People began to pray and share. And there's this one line from the night that stood out to me, one line that I can't forget. And somebody got up, I can't remember who it was. And this is what she said. She said, tonight we celebrate justice in part and the promise of future justice. I love that line. Tonight, we celebrate justice in part and the promise of future justice. Let me pray. God, I pray as we look at your word today that we would see you clear and that we'd be changed by seeing you clear. And God, I pray that you would make us a people who live in response to your heart for justice and that we be a people who live lives out of the sure hope and promise of future justice. In your name, amen. Okay, here's what we wanna do. Very simply today, just three points, three parts to talk. Point one, I wanna talk about the God of justice. Number two, a people of justice. And number three, the promise of future justice. The God of justice, a people of justice living in response to the God of justice, And then how does this promise of future justice inform our lives today? Number one, the God of justice. Deep in our human 
heart is a wiring for justice. Any parents know this, you see it with your kids. There's no parenting manuals that told me how much issues I would have distributing Skittles evenly amongst my children. See, I'm old school. I'm like straight from the bag kind of guy. That doesn't work around my house because that's not specific enough. If Mary gets four, Millie gets three, and Hudson gets two, it's game over. There is a court case that starts. My kids are trying me about the equal distribution of Skittles. They are passionate about justice, and this is in our wiring. And where does this come from? The Christian response would be that the reason why we're wired towards justice and equality is because we're made in the image of God. Humans did not come up with the idea of justice. The nature of God is the basis of justice. And we could have gone to dozens and dozens of scriptures in the Bible, but I just wanted to pull out a few so we can begin to sort of get a picture of who is God. And all of us need to wrestle with that question. Picture of who is God and what does it mean for him to be a God of justice? Isaiah 30 verse 18 says, The Lord is a God of justice. And he says of himself in chapter 61, For I, the Lord, love justice. And then there's more texture added throughout the scriptures. One example. Psalm 146 says, He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord watches over the foreigner, sustains the fatherless and the widow, and he frustrates the ways of the wicked. What a stunning image of God. And what a dynamic vision of justice. Like what we see in scripture, and I want to invite you just to begin to move through the Bible and watch for this. We're introduced to a God who is good and just, who is upright and trustworthy. It's a picture of a God who holds evil to account, but his justice doesn't stop there. He holds evil to account, but it also manifests itself in deep love and compassion to the most vulnerable. And consistently, we hear it described as towards the widow, the orphan, the poor, and the refugee. And I want to know, do you know this God? Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, do you know the God who reveals himself as a God of justice, whose heart breaks against injustice and moves with fervor towards the most vulnerable? And if you want to know this God of justice, look to Jesus. 2,000 years ago, Jesus enters human history proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And while he's doing this, he's corrupting the religious power, or he's challenging the corrupt religious power structures of the day. He finds his community amongst the poor and the vulnerable. And ultimately, he gives his entire life. He literally dies for the cause of justice and mercy. And one of the bold claims of the Christian faith is that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. In other words, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. And note this, Jesus does not come on the scene, and others might argue this, but he does not come on the scene and say that I am a prophet of the God of justice. He does not say that he's a messenger of the God of justice. He doesn't even say that he's an imitator of the God of justice. There have been people who filled those roles in the past. I want to be an imitator of the God of justice. But Jesus says, I am God. I am the God of justice. Go with me to Luke chapter 4. Jesus is entering the synagogue, which was his normal practice. People gathered to hear the word being taught and spoken. And someone hands him a scroll from the prophet Isaiah And he begins to read a text that speaks about a day of anticipation that the people of God hoped that there would be a rescuer, an anointed king that would come and rescue the people. And so he grabs the scroll 
you can read it here, this quote from Isaiah, also look, recorded in Luke chapter 4. It says this. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then with everybody's eyes on him, this is what he says. He says, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Do you see what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, I am the fulfillment of that prophecy. And this language, it's such a profound picture of the ministry of Jesus that we see recorded in the Gospels. Like, again, I don't know where you're at in your walk with God, but I just want to invite you, if you're wrestling, whether you're someone who's not a Christian, you're wrestling with, like, what is this all about? Or you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time and you feel disillusioned by things that might be distracting. Go to the Gospels. Look at the person of Jesus and see the life that he lived, a life of proclaiming good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoner, sight to the blind. We see a man of justice caring for the most vulnerable, challenging the corruption he saw. In Jesus, we see the best and most full expression of the God of justice. And the most natural response to getting a clear picture of the love and grace of the God of justice is to live a life of justice. My um, nephew just moved away. And so a few weeks ago, he started at a new school. I think he's in middle school. Maybe the school has um, like a lot of grades because it sounds like there's some younger students there. And I just heard this story. I'm so proud of my nephew. Um, there was a younger student in his school getting bullied by an older student. The young guy was being made fun of and pushed. So my nephew stood up for the little guy and said, stop it. That's not okay. The bully kept on going. He said, stop it. That's not okay. And he pushed the little boy. And eventually the bully went away. And my nephew went towards the young guy who was bullied, who was now crying. And he began folding him an origami bookmark just to try to comfort him. And that's the picture of biblical justice. Stand up against the bully. Comfort the broken. Stand up against the bully. Comfort the broken. And we never graduate from that. I mean, this is what you were made for. And most likely, as you age, you will have more wisdom and experience and opportunity and privilege and platform and resource. So whether you're in a boardroom or in a church or in a high school or elementary school, the task is still the same. Stand up against the bully. Comfort the broken. Stand up against the bully. Comfort the broken. This is the most natural response for followers of Jesus. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, the most natural response to the God of justice is to pursue justice. When you meet the God of compassion, you are moved with compassion. And justice and mercy is not like a tag-on activity for followers of Jesus. And I'm concerned for myself, for my church, and for the church, that we've lost this part of our DNA. Like there is a proclivity in my own life to build some sort of religious expression or Christian worldview that somehow has justice and mercy and work with the vulnerable kind of omitted out of it. And I fear for what that means because for Jesus, 
For Jesus, there's no version of following him that does not include movement towards the most vulnerable. Like just consider the clarity by which scripture throughout all of the ages speaks to this. Micah in chapter six says, and what does the Lord require of you? That's a great question. What does God require of us? Check it out. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Zechariah 9, 7 verse 9 and 10. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the immigrant or the poor. And Jesus moves towards the religious people of his time who had built a religiosity around some sort of piety around details, but neglected the poor whom God loves. And he says, woe to you Pharisees. Woe to you religious people. Because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden and herbs. He's saying, you guys tithe on the smallest things. You're obeying the law there, but you've missed the whole point. He says, you do all of those things, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. And no wonder James writes the young church. He says, religion that God our Father accepts is pure and faultless as this, to look after the orphan and the widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And the early church, they grabbed a hold of this. This wasn't a side thing. This was central. Living in response to the God of justice, becoming a people of justice The historian Rodney Stark in his book, The Triumph of Christianity, he kind of unpacks how Christianity survived against such persecution in the first centuries. And he said one of the defining marks of the first Christian was love for the poor and vulnerable, even if not especially those who weren't even part of their community. And we see this today. We see Christians, not only Christians, but today around the world, people trying to live the way of Jesus at the forefront of care for refugees, the sick, the poor, the dying, the widow, the orphan. We see it here in our own city. Consider the good work of Union Gospel Mission, the Salvation Army, Promise Vancouver, great organizations doing dynamic work for the most vulnerable in the name of Jesus. And it's not just organizations doing it. Like, as I look closely at my time in local churches, I've been following Jesus for some time, one of the best examples for compassion and justice happens in the day-to-day life, unpublicized, unpromoted, of local churches. It's groups of people pooling money together to buy, like I, was, I heard of one group that bought like a, a washing machine for a single mom. I know another family who when children didn't have a home because of distress in the home, they opened up their home to them. We see this again and again and again. People of all shapes and sizes moving towards the cause of the oppressed, standing up against the bully. We see this on the local level again and again in the life of the church. And this is what we're made for. This is what you were made for. Over the past few years, I've been able to watch a few people in my life lead the way in integrating this in their faith. I think about my buddy, Eric, who's been following Jesus for some time now, attended church regularly, probably his whole life. And then as an adult with his wife and two daughters, professionally successful as a creative director. But something happened a few years ago when he saw another friend who began to take up the cause of young girls in Asia 
who are victims of sexual exploitation and human trafficking. And so he came to a moment when he could not do nothing about what he had seen. And so he made a decision. I'm going to say yes to God and I'm going to say yes to any opportunity to advocate for women, young women in particular, who are being trafficked. And so he began to move in this direction. He agreed to film a story of a survivor of human trafficking. So he began to travel back and forth from Vancouver to Nepal, Vancouver to Nepal, to produce this story. And what he found in Nepal was men and women who have given their lives to fight against injustice and defend the vulnerable. And as he met these men and women doing this work, and he met these young girls who have been rescued, and he built friendships with them, and he saw the way they lived, after going through such horrific experiences, still experiencing joy and love for one another and for God, it wrecked him. He's done. He's not the same guy anymore. Recently, we're hanging out, and he said that for 10 years, he never cried, and now a day doesn't go by where he doesn't cry. His heart's been broken, and his whole life has now been reordered. Like, every aspect of his life has been shaped by this, the way he treats his employees and empowers them, the way he thinks about his personal and public purity. Every aspect of his life, his relationships has been gripped by this, and you can't be near him without experiencing this contagious effect of his love for the most vulnerable and his heart for justice. And I sat with him recently and he began to describe the way this has impacted his family. So together with his wife and kids, they've taken on this cause. And if you wanna see your children, this is a side note, if you're a parent and you wanna see your children love Jesus, invite them on the full mission of Jesus. If you want to see your kids know Jesus, show them a faith that goes to work. Don't hide them from all the mess. Invite them to go with you to find Jesus in the midst of the mess. So he went to Nepal. He wanted to introduce his daughters and his wife to these girls that had impacted his life so much. And he described this moment where these girls from the safe home surrounded his own two daughters and began to pray for them. And to see him describe the way his journey of going towards the most vulnerable and fighting against injustice has trickled out to impact the people he loves the most, it reminds me that we were made for this, that this is how the kingdom grows and how it works, and we're all invited in. This is what happens when you move towards God. This is what happens if you begin to move towards his heart for justice. It will flip your life around and it will cause those around you to get a glimpse of the heart of God. But, but, if you move towards addressing injustice, I believe you will see the miraculous. You will see the power of God. I think it will set you free from the grips of materialism and the things of this world but there's a good chance you'll also experience moments of hopelessness and despair. Because let me put it this way, you will see justice and you'll celebrate it. But you also see so much injustice and feel so overwhelmed and wonder what can we do? When we see justice happen, we celebrate. And when we don't see it happen, we grieve. But there is a promise of a future day where there will be full justice. 
the promise of Scripture is there will be a day where everything, all evil, all exploitation will be held to account and all those who are broken will be comforted. This is the promise, total, complete justice. And this is the promise that we see in Revelation chapter 21, the text that we've been looking at in this series. And it calls our attention to a future reality that God promises. And this is the language it uses. It says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he'll dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. I love verse four. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying for the old order of things has passed away. He who's seated on the throne says, I'm making everything new. Can you imagine how good that will be? To have a good king reigning perfectly on the throne, executing justice and fairness, and to see the old order of things, this broken order of things, with all of its exploitation, all of its abuse, all of its discrimination, all of its injustice going. And there will be a great comfort, a great wiping away of tears because death is gone and the broken are made whole. And this good and just king who rules on the throne says, behold, let me show you. I need you to see what I'm doing. I'm making everything new. And when you see what God is doing and what he's promised, it doesn't just make a difference in the future. It impacts our lives today. Because he will wipe away every tear, we're very committed to the business of wiping away tears today. And because God is bringing perfect justice, we can boldly pursue works of justice even in the midst of being overwhelmed by the sheer scale of injustice and great need in our world. You see, like this um, promise of future justice, it doesn't slow down the work. It doesn't give us an excuse not to do the work. You know what it does? It sets us free from the apathy or crushing weights that stops us from doing the work. I get it. I hear the voice of the cynic says, what difference does that small act of justice make? Like in the grand scheme of how complex systemic issues of injustice are corporate greed and all these different layers, like what difference does that small act make? But God is working in and through history to bring about his goodness using lawyers, filmmakers, neighbors, and even kids that make origami in schools. And he's working that together to bring about his good kingdom. And what this means is that every single act, big or small, that's in harmony to where things are going in God matters for eternity. No act too small, no act too insignificant. There is a crushing weight when you look at all. I feel that weight. Don't give up. There is a bend sometimes towards apathy. What difference does it make? Don't give up. God is working in and through these things. And our promise, our hope, it is in God. He's the one that promises this. So our ultimate hope is not in government legislation. It's not in NGOs. It's not in movements of people. And this is good news. Listen to me. These things matter. Yes, they do matter. I love these things. But they're not where we place our hope. 
And this is good news because if we place our hope in those things for justice, eventually when they fall short or even corruption or greed exploits and gets in the weeds of those organizations, how do we not fall into despair? We don't need to fall into despair because our hope was not in those things. We can celebrate every single time government legislation, a nonprofit organization, a movement of people begin to advocate for the oppressed. We celebrate that, but our hope is not in them alone. It is in the God who is making all things new. And when we jump on board and we begin to do the work of justice, and this is what you were made for, we let our become, and when we let our lives become oriented around the God of justice, we begin, help, we begin to be able to help other people get a glimpse of God and the new heavens and the new earth. It's like an inbreaking of justice today is a whisper or a glimpse or a signpost of something so good in the future that we can't even imagine. It points to a future that is so good that it will make sense of all of the suffering and pain of this world and the human experience. Right now, with my son Hudson, we're reading um, this book called The Chronicles of Narnia written by a guy called C.S. Lewis. It's a number of books, and it takes, um, it just follows the story of some children who end up in this world called Narnia, and so I love reading with Hudson. And in the last book, in the last scene, you get a picture of the end of the book coming, but something new beginning that the writer says he can't even describe. It's like we've come to the end, but the end of the book is actually beginning. And in a sense, what the writer is doing is helping us understand how we will feel as we stand at the precipice of this life and begin to get a glimpse of the new heavens and new earth that God promises for us. This is what it says. This is what C.S. Lewis says. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them down. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. And that's our hope. That the good, the good king will judge the world and make all things new. The wicked will be held to account and the broken will be healed and comforted. Graves will be turned to gardens and the end will actually be a beginning. And what is ahead for you and for me is better than anything we ever imagined. The next chapter better than the one before, again and again and again. And I can't wait. And so that's why we celebrate justice in part now and the promise of future justice to come.